So is Arcade the worst movie we've seen? That's the question. Okay, so it it's not as insulting as some of the movies we've seen, right? Like um, Pixel, it's not as insulting as Pixels. That's certainly true. not. Um, it. I want to, you know, even Uva Bowl, like it felt like there was more of an effort made. Yeah, that, <laughs> in, in that there was some effort made. And a little bit of it. This movie should be 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's basically an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> With worse production value. <laughs> an episode of Goosebumps is high art compared to Full Moon Entertainment. And I shouldn't be using the word entertainment. Arcade. Is that which, false advertising? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, when they're not making movies about small plastic things come to life, such as Puppet Master, Evil Dolls, or that that one where the bloke comes from the planet where he's normal-sized, but on Earth he's small, they're only good at things, and I say good, they're only quote-unquote good, at movies about small things, small (laughs) things that are alive. You look through Full Moon's repertoire, and you realise it ain't just Puppet Master. These, this company is like Hanna Barbera in that they have one idea, and that means they have ten of the same idea. You'd be surprised when you find out that for every Scooby Doo, there is three or four other Hanna Barbera cartoons about an animal and teens solving mysteries. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. another Tom and Jerry. Another cat versus mouse that they do. And this is before we even get into the kids' versions of everything. Hanna-Barbera, bunch well, and, of fucking hacks. And the wholesale, like, you know, that's, that's, that's because they have one or two original ideas and everything else they wholesale stole from the works and, and recognizable performances of other comedians and entertainers. So it's not like they did nothing. Yeah. It, it contributed nothing. There is a reason why there is about 20 Puppet Master films. Because that is Full Moon's one That's idea. That's what they can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then it's all evil dolls. I think these are the ones that did evil bong as well. And oh, no, that, that was just a... That was so... I actually have seen that. Yeah. And it is... It is horrendously bad. And, you know, it's good to see uh, Tommy... Chong get a paycheck, I guess. That's always nice. Always nice but to see Tommy Chong get paid. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was weird. And, and so they... many of those movies end up fighting each other. Like, mm-hmm. we want to talk about how popular cinematic universes are now. Oh, yeah. You look at Full Moon, Demonic Toys versus Puppet Master, Evil Bong versus... Probably demonic toys again. Oh, I'm sure. They're way ahead of the game on this. Yeah, I mean, well, it all goes back to, you know, we wanted to see Freddy and Jason fight. Mm-hmm. And and Full Moon was prepared to give us that. Just, you know, they didn't have Freddy or Jason. Yeah. They had some bad plastic puppets. <laughs> uh, and and, then, yeah. and here, here, they get to have bad CG. Right, yes. I want to talk to you briefly about a kids program called Nightmare. With a K. Nightmare with a K, so it was clever and mm-hmm. trademarkable. Now, 
this show started, I believe, just going off the top of my head, in 1987. I used to watch it when I was four years old. And I used to watch it up until it finished, basically. Uh, I want to say this came out in 93, did Arcade. This stopped a year after, so 94. So um, Arcade killed Nightmare. Is that what you're <laughs> insinuating? Well, what what I what I want to say is that Nightmare was a kids TV show. Yeah, it's hard to call it a game show, but it, they were competing. Uh, it was a team of kids, and they could watch one of their team members on on a screen. So they were at ho- it, basically this guy called Treyguard. He ran the thing. They're at Treyguard's castle while he was just going around going, "Come on, Dungeoneers." Time's almost up. Ooh, he's going to die. Um, So these kids would watch on a screen while one of their team had a helmet on his head so he couldn't see anything except his own feet while in a green screen room. That's why they had the helmet on because otherwise they'd just see they're in a fucking green uh, green screen room. And the, the team watching would tell the dungeoneer they were called, with the helmet on their head, to go forward, back, sidestep to the left, sidestep to the right, and guide them through. Essentially, this sort of medieval-themed, green-screen-based video game. They were controlling a human avatar, telling them to go left and right and whatnot. There'd be NPCs in the form of actors coming in, but over the years it got a bit more CGI. It started with, you know, just photos of backdrops and stuff. But they got a bit more technological as it went on. Um, And that was it, basically. Getting them through rooms, solving puzzles. Uh, It was a captivating little show. Uh, You can see it on YouTube now. I recommend people check it out. It's got just enough overacting, a lot of awkwardness, because it was a late 80s, early 90s. So they didn't know what they were doing. But it was a fun show. And for this show... In the 80s and early 90s, with only one year going ahead of Arcade, it's so much better. It couldn't have had a bigger budget. This was CITV. This was children's programming. And yet the special effects and the CGI and just generally the pacing and the writing on a kid's game show that is only really a cult hit now, miles ahead of this. And I could be unfair and compare it to something like Jurassic Park, which, what was that, 93 as well? I think so. You know, there are many sort of movies and shows around this time that dabbled in CGI. I remember rolling my eyes at it even as a child thinking my god they're going all in on this and it's getting boring already even this commercial for a batman toy has a cgi logo why why who's it helping um cynical from a very young age but nightmare made it work nightmare was a brilliant show it had a jester dancing around it had trey guard who was just this hairy beardy man who didn't look like he had business on a kids tv show He looked like he should be treading the boards in sort of just off the West End in London. Not on the West End, just just off to the side of it in one of the smaller theatres. He could have had a good career there. Instead, he was Treyguard, wearing 
doublets and leather and going, ooh, nasty. It was fucking great. And it was miles better than this. Well, and, and you brought up the script. And this is this was um, written by David S. Goyer, and it's got to be one of the very first scripts that he, you know, sold. Yeah. Um, he I'm, must I'm have lo- written it when he was ten. Well, I'm, I'm looking at his uh, early credits, and uh, prior to Arcade, he he wrote the script for the Jean Claude Van Damme film Death Warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not so great. Uh, the sequel to Kickboxer, Kickboxer Two: The Road Back. I didn't know Kickboxer needed a sequel or that it existed. Now I feel somewhat compelled to find it. Yeah, I remember as a kid seeing that. I remember Kickboxer Two. I don't remember anything about it, but I remember its existence. And I guess this would have been um, Arcade would have been his first script for Full Moon. Because he's uh, credited for the screenplay on Demonic Toys. So, uh. there you go. Um, but uh, this is a... He, you know, he went on and, and has written some stuff that... like He wrote one of my favorite movies ever, which is Dark City. That's a, I, that's a fine film. Though. It's a masterpiece. I just... I think that's an amazing film. But, you know, he, he worked on Batman Begins... Uh, he, he's he's done some some decent stuff. Oh, yeah, but he's prolific. Um, he's even got video game ties. I think he wrote the script for one of the Call of Duties. Oh, Blops, yeah. yeah, yeah, Black Ops and Black Ops too. He got he got credit for the story in Black Ops. The good too. ones. Yeah, um, yeah. He helped develop the Constantine series, which was really good. Um, no, maybe not really good, but but solid. I think it it could have gotten a better chance. You know, and then, yeah, okay, Batman versus Superman. You know, the man's not perfect, but this God, it just this shows humble like beginnings. It, yeah, it, it's like it's from a completely different writer, one that isn't a writer first and foremost, uh, one who does not know how to craft a single likable character. Yeah, or craft any one-liners or uh. lines that aren't painful to hear. This movie is so bad. And sorry if I sound a bit downbeat. It's uh, very early in the morning. I'm still waking up. But this movie had me make actual, out loud, physical sounds of pain. I was actually going, ah, ah, ah. It started mercifully towards the end. Most of the time I was just staring at the screen or just reading the TV Tropes page for Undertale on my phone, because that was better than this. Um, Once they got to the fucking... I hate it when films do this, except Labyrinth, who actually were clever about it. The whole, one of us always lies, Mm -hmm. one of us always tells the truth riddle. I hate that riddle. I hate that riddle. It's not clever, it's not fun. The only movie that did it justice was The Labyrinth, because they made it funny. Um... But they did that, and it was so cringe-inducing. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Seth fucking Green dressed up like Brain Guy from Mystery Science Theater, and some girl dressed up like Brain Guy from Mystery Science Theater, delivering lines in this. I'm a kid who's emulating Thundercat's voice, like trying to be cool, but it's like you're a child and you're not intimidating or imposing. 
you just think you're being Lion-O from Thundercats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the first scene where you look at Seth Green and it's very, very clear, oh, that's Seth Green, which is interesting because he seems so young earlier on. I knew he was in it and I'm like, oh my God, that's him. What the fuck? And when did he start learning to act? Because it wasn't here. No. Um, I but, like Seth Green well enough. Yeah, he played, yeah, he played a dog on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think he's a, a generally pretty funny guy. Um, now, this character doesn't he's have any of that. He's the man's Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> it's the... It's the person with three brain cells, Jamie Kennedy. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what I mean. It's it's for someone who literally has, has the capacity for thought. <laughs> Not a mollusk. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy is the mollusk. Seth Green. Big with mollusks. <laughs> it's a good market. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. They'll keep you in work. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, this was, this movie also had some legal trouble. Yeah, uh, no, that's, that surprised me when, it didn't surprise me when you said it, but you said it before I saw the film, and then I saw the film and it surprised me. So that CG, uh, there is, there's a CG section of this, um, movie that we'll get to with a, uh, um, a chase in the virtual world, and so it's entirely computer generated and i guess in an early version of the film uh that vehicle that they were driving around looked a bit more like the light cycle from tron and they made the tactical error of including some of that footage in the trailer that they put out announcing the film people at disney saw it and they filed a suit and there was you know litigation and and i think they changed that visual eventually but it it delayed the release of the film by like two years and then you told me about that you told me that and i watched the film and just thought what an insult to trump uh-huh how insulting to trump that disney thinks anyone could mistake the two that disney thinks arcade full moon's arcade was a threat to the bottom line of Tron. Well, they hadn't seen it yet, probably. Like True. the actual movie. True. Um, you know, I've, you, you I've... are correct. They, they hadn't seen it, but I still couldn't help but feel this. Oh, yeah. I mean, the movie's existence, even without Disney's litigation, is an insult to Tron and all <laughs> other films. Any film that features a virtual world especially it should yeah. just feel... yeah. Or fuck any film with actors in it. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, yeah, we, yeah. Let's, let's just just the entire cinematic landscape should be embarrassed that this was allowed to happen. Yeah, I like the fact that the arcade machine that is evil and speaks desperately wishes it was Freddy Krueger. Yeah, <laughs> but but only knows that Freddy Krueger says bitch sometimes, so awkwardly shoehorns it into everything. It's <laughs> you're playing by my rules now. Bitch, <laughs> it's embarrassing. This movie's an embarrassment. It's it it it's like that uh, Rick and Morty character, uh, yes. sc- Scary Stan or something like that. Scary Steve or I know the one you mean. Basically, yeah. they're Freddy Krueger. 
Yeah, who who punctuates the end of every sentence with bitch. Yeah, it's it's not dissimilar. Mm-hmm. And what is what is its face? They have a CGI head for this arcade machine that exists in its arcade world, and it's like it's like a child tried to draw a Michael Bay Transformer. It There's... looks yeah, it looks like a a big ass uh, like semi truck engine that a child attempted to draw yeah. a face on. It, it's it's an engine with two little yellow lights on it that you assume are eyes. There's no mouth because. What are they going to do? Animate a mouth for it? That would take time and money, and we don't have either of those things. And and this was 1991, and CGI was more expensive. Was it 91? Well, that's when it was. That's when it was made. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because of the litigation. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and I'm I'm sure that on their budget, this was the absolute best that they could achieve. Nightmare but. still came out in 1987 <laughs> and was better. It's not like I'm comparing this film to other films. No. Or even high-end TV shows. We, we, well, as we stated earlier, we need to try and separate this from all cinema altogether because yeah. it's just it's, it's its own thing. If you don't have budget, there's a lot you can do with imagination, provided you have it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there... I just watched the, what, like, nine hours of documentary on Hellraiser. And the shit that they managed to do with practical effects and the techniques yeah. that they employed. Uh, stunning what you I can like do. I like the practical you... effects in Arcade. When they finally get to level two, right near the end of the film. Mm. And didn't have any ideas for it. Mm-hmm. So, even though level one is entirely CGI... Level two, it takes place on a bit of real dirt. <laughs> they throw in some like shitty effects in the sky behind them, but they're just running around on a bit of dirt, clearly in some construction site they broke into. Mm, yep, pretty much. Well, should we get into it before you? Know, I don't want to belabor this any more than is yeah. absolutely necessary. Yeah, it's not a good film. No. After a lengthy run of credits with a CGI animation in the background just sort of looping like a screensaver. You can and tell that they didn't assume people would be there by the time the end credits rolled. Yeah. Like, the, Let's get the names out here now before they realize what kind of film they've seen. Yeah, I do think they put every credit front-loaded. Just about. Like, maybe not grips and things like that, because nobody's going to care about them, apparently. But they should. That's not fair. That was really not fair to... Like, all of the crew people. Although, maybe that was all of them. Yeah. <laughs> then again, <laughs> I, I, I'd have requested to have been left off the credits altogether. Oh, oh yeah. This is uh, definitely a uh, an Alan Smithy film. Yeah. Um, so we, Q! We, Q from Star Trek The Next Generation is in this. Yeah, John Delancey. I know. I know. It's, and this is, this, is after, this is after he was Q. Well, now, hang on. Yeah, no, because... Star Trek Next Generation started like 1988, 1989. So he'd already been Q. And you'd think that that would like give you the ability to turn this shit down. Uh, so we zoom out of the eye of a young woman named Alex as she tells us that she never believed in heaven, but she totally gets hell because her mom put her there. Good start. 
Real good start. Establishes Strong. the character quickly, <laughs> and then does nothing else to flesh out the character. That's that's what you want in your film. Uh, she, rising from her bed, uh, she walks into a living room to find her mother dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. So, she slept it, through that. Yep, totally didn't. <laughs> And then, like a baby. And then we get a hard cut to Alex speaking with a school counselor, which I, I guess maybe she was doing this whole time with the voiceover. I don't know. She's spouting barely comprehensible dialogue about being trapped in her past. And and the counselor sort of this, gives us... By the way, I've got to point out, this isn't really relevant to the film. It's not like she has to overcome any of this in the end. Well, in the end, she basically just wins. I can't yeah. even remember exactly how well, yeah, she no, wins. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she just wins. And it's, but it's, yeah, I, I feel like they were trying to put in this plot about her, nobody believing that she's capable of anything because she's been broken by this event. And, you know, they, they put the mother in there in a couple of points to, you know, torment her or... But it's just handled... It's so mishandled, uh, writing-wise, performance-wise, directorially. Yeah, the, the final showdown is nothing to do with overcoming doubt or fear or any of that. Yeah. She just wins. Uh. So we we uh, we get this counselor to deliver us a bunch of exp- also this is the like most poorly lit shot. Yeah, this it was almost immediately where I realized I'd made a mistake <laughs> watching yes. this film because it's again I compare it explicitly to children's television because it doesn't deserve to be talked about with grown-up productions. But your average episode of Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark, miles better. You can tell they blocked those scenes mm-hmm. in the kids' shows. Better lighting, better camera positioning. Here, I mean, it. this is on the level quality-wise of something you'd see on Best of the Worst. One oh. of the ones that they debate turning off halfway through. Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, it is, it's a, a very dark sort of office with very dark woods. Yeah. It's and... got the quality of a Godfrey Ho film. One of those ninja assassin or ninja terminator mm-hmm. or ninja ninja. Mm-hmm. One of those, if you've if you've never seen a god ho flick, uh, Jonathan Holmes turned me on to them. Check them out. You can see ones that are like twenty minutes long on YouTube, and that the plot is always the problems ninjas. The solution is more ninjas. They are great. They're all most of the ninjas are white guys with names like Steve or Neil. And they're clearly, like, cheap costumes they got off... uh, Not off the internet in them days. They went into a costume shop because they still had those. And a lot of the time they're wearing bandanas with just ninja written on it. It's clearly something for children. Uh, But it's good because you might forget that they're ninjas. Um, They're better than this. (laughs) They're filmed with no lighting at all. It's clearly just a, a commercial camera using the light of the sun outside in a park somewhere where they snuck into film but it's better lit than this film in yeah. which sometimes the there are lights in the scenery pointing directly at the camera so you can't make out what the fuck's going on at all well and and in here the counselor like 
you could lose her in the background of this shot because she's far enough away and there's no second camera angle. Mm. Like, it's just, hi, we're all the way back here. It's, it's hideous. Um, so she helps us out by letting us know that Alex's grades have fallen after the death of her mother uh, a year prior. And then Alex fills in the gaps by volunteering that her father's become a useless uh, shell of a man who might as well also be dead. So cool. Glad we know a lot about her. The, the counselor tries to set up another appointment, but Alex decides that she, she'd rather just keep blaming herself for her mother's death thanks anyway. I mean, that's basically what she says. <laughs> it's odd. And then we get this shot of a well-manicured lawn at an academic campus. You know, they, they shot an exterior at a college somewhere. And Without then, the college's permission or knowledge. Oh, no doubt. And then we Allegedly. Get, I don't want to get sued by full moon. But then we get this hard cut to what is clearly a shitty parking lot in back of a bowling alley near a freeway <laughs> in Los Angeles. <laughs> Where they did get permission. Yeah. You can tell which locations they got permission to film in and which ones they didn't. Well, because they were able to move the camera in those, in those places. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, if the location looks like more than one person has died there before, Full Moon got permission. <laughs> Uh, here, Alex meets with her boyfriend, Greg, and their friends, Nick, Stilts, Laurie, and Benz. <laughs> Seth Green plays Stilts. Seth Green plays Stilts. And he... it's not like his surname, like with a Z or anything. No. You look at the credits, it's Stilts, as if his nickname is named after things that make your legs look long. Which, I, he, I mean, he's skinny, but he's certainly not tall. No. I mean, he, he just looks like a small... He looks like he should be playing someone's annoying younger brother in this, but he's not. He's why do, not. Why I do think they, they call him stilts? As, I don't know. Maybe he's but really I, good on them? Was there a subplot <laughs> where he's running around? Well, he's, got to use, he's got to use stilts in the video game. Uh, he doesn't. That would be... That would be that runs the risk of being mildly entertaining, and that is not what this film's about. No, Seth Green's just called Stilts, and I think he's meant to be the cool one of the group. He's meant to be the wise-cracking, fun one, but he's not. He's just distressing. He's just kind of an asshole. It, it, there's nothing, like, not even. He's, he's mean. He's just. A, I mean, everybody in this is mean and awful. Um, but. Like, at least as it pertains to Alex. And again, I think that the point was to sort of put this character in this underdog position, but it just makes it seem like she makes poor choices in Friends. Half the but, time it just looks sexist. Yeah. When, when they're like, you can't play this video game. And I think the idea is that they don't trust Alex as a person, but it does look like they're just saying, girls can't play games. Yeah. Which a lot of people have, have carried on believing today. So, Greg, this is the boyfriend, Greg, and I, I, need to, I need to mention this, A, because he disappears very quickly, and B, these characters are almost all interchangeable with the yeah. exception of uh, Nick and Stilts. And the only reason Stilts isn't interchangeable is because we know he is Seth Green and right. will have a career later. Yes. Uh, Greg tells Alex not to listen to her school counselor because, you know, parents just don't understand or whatever. 
And then after he berates her into pushing her feelings down, like he's really <laughs> aggressive about this. They they take a selfie, which whoa, that they surprised me. The selfie. Yeah, I was I was shocked. And then they immediately like destroy the the photograph of this. It's you know one of those instant um, developing film things by having by scribbling his fingers all over the emulsion. And they open it up, and it looks like, you know, one of those horror movie, except it's not a good, you know, like, scratched-out picture look. It's just, like, two blobs of white with some scratchy bits. And it doesn't even look like the people who took the photo. It's just, I don't know who these people are, but the hair doesn't look right. The environment doesn't look right. It's not even close. What the hell were you doing, Full Moon? It's incredibly lazy. They didn't have the budget. They didn't have the budget for a camera that worked. So they stole a picture from someone's high school yearbook. <laughs> the campus that they didn't get permission to film on. They broke into it, stole one of the school photos, and then mangled it so you couldn't tell it wasn't the cast. And then retroactively filmed one guy ruining the picture <laughs> to justify it. At that point... You think they didn't have to film the photo scene at all? No, no. But cause... then we wouldn't have had character development. Well, and and we also wouldn't have had. Well, the, I mean, the the photo comes up again later. But we also uh, wouldn't wouldn't have we would have probably had to extend one of the other shots in the film by a good two minutes to make this eighty-seven minute running time oh, that they've what? accomplished, or seventy-seven no seventy-seven minute running time. No way, that's not happening. The director needs to step out for a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. It's cigarette um, break time. We're not going to cut into that with filming. So Ben's, in his one actual like scene of dialogue, I think, shows the gang a flyer for an event at Dante's Inferno, the local video game place. <sighs> okay, now lest you think that there is going to be some thematic connection between the name of the arcade <laughs> and traversing levels of hell. No, I'm just no. going to just just put it out of your mind now. It's called Dante's Inferno because that's what they wanted you to think. They weren't <laughs> going to do it. They just wanted you to do the homework on your own time and assume that all of this has some sort of hell allegory. It's a lot better to just name something. Just name something, Dante's Inferno, and then hope that you get it. Hope that you think they did work. At the arcade tonight, a new game from Vertigo Tronics is being shown, and Nick, the blonde, uh, also aggressive. All of the men in this are very aggressive. I say men. Well, no, yes. All, every, every male character in this is overly aggressive. Yeah. I wouldn't call them men, or boys, or humans. I would just call them bozos. Because it was the 90s, and you could call people bozo. Before Can political correctness <laughs> said we couldn't. Yeah, yeah, we can't say bozo anymore. And, you know, I think it's tragic. I uh, think it's... Oh, it's political correctness gone mad. <laughs> you used to call someone a bozo. <laughs> used to be able to call someone a bozo. Uh, so, um... Nick comments on how amazing the graphics of the new game are going to be, and he's down to check it out. So Greg and Alex make plans to go to the arcade and have dinner afterwards. And and then they dreamily fantasize about just driving away from this place and not looking back. 
you I know. Think that was, I think that was just the performers. I don't think that was part of the script. I think they were like, you know what? If we if we get in a car now, we don't have to come back tomorrow. I, I, I wish that were true. I do. But I think that they were all in it for the hall because that there's a callback to this dialogue in the film. Don't puncture my fantasies. Um. <laughs> don't puncture my fantasies of a world where these people knew better. After a short walk along a beach, while a song about Israel plays, yes, <laughs> it's political. That's I what don't... I love about our time. Is it's a political piece? I, I, on the one hand, I want to get. I, I want to know what the lyrics of this are. On the other hand, I realize that the only way to find out what those are is to repeatedly listen to it over and over again because no one has published these anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, no. Also, uh, why are they walking to the beach, walking past the, through this beach to get to their location? That doesn't make any sense. They were all out in a parking lot by cars. They're going to be in a parking lot right outside of the arcade in just a couple of seconds. And then when they come back out, they're gonna what? They're gonna be in the those cars right outside the arcade. I don't. The filmmakers knew where a beach was. What it is is that they needed another filler shot. Yeah. Because they yeah. walk they walk the full length of this beach, and it's a good forty five second shot. It's and good. those Eats they up add some up. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the gang arrives at Dante's Inferno, which is a basement arcade. Uh, cool. Uh, Nick tells us that virtual reality is the wave of the future. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that Ben Kachera worked on this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love you, Ben. Poor Ben. <laughs> <sighs> and the group, the group splits up to look around, and then here's another pointless, empty scene of people wandering around an arcade, not seeing or doing anything. Well, these, uh, these filmmakers aren't paid to make films. No, they're, so they're paid to kill them. time. Yeah, uh, can't expect them to... Uh, again, again, one of these movies that you'd expect to see like Red Letter Media make fun of, or if you go far enough back into Amazon's movies, which I've done before. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, I've seen some... Alice in Murderland was the last one I watched after going too far into Amazon's uh, back catalogue. It looks like it should be a porn, except it's not a porn, so what's the point? Um, oh, one is, of it those one of those, films. is it one of those ones where they like shoot from uh, specific angles to prevent showing any nudity, but they insist on having actors grind up against each other? Not even that. Oh, okay. It's, it's one of those ones where they find an excuse to put some girls that the filmmaker probably knows in skimpy costumes, and then you get a few like upskirty ass shots here and there. Oh, okay, but right. mostly it's it's so just it's, a it's bad. Not, it's not quite film. a Julie Strain flick. It's like no, it's, yeah, it's not even not even okay, not so... even softcore porn. It just is lit and performed like a porn, but without any. Without any salacious material whatsoever, except a few ass shots, like so, like divas segments in WWE in the year two thousand. I'm so glad you brought this up uh, because I uh, my wife recently got a Showtime subscription for um, because she wanted to watch some documentary miniseries that they had, and so she took the free week offer from Hulu. 
And I thought to myself, oh, Showtime has some interesting stuff. I'm going to cruise around and see what I can find. And, you know, I mean, I remember being a, a child and a teenager and cable networks, the, the pay cable channels would show softcore pornography at night. Yeah. Great and days. Great days. Great days, you know. And I hadn't really thought about it much past that point. You know, I hadn't really considered the cord cutting phenomenon or how things might progress in the arena of softcore pornography on late night cable. And lo and behold, you can watch what now is that programming on Hulu with your Showtime subscription. And it's no longer like independently produced B-movie softcore shit. Yeah. Instead, what they're doing is they're taking productions from established porn houses and cutting them to be like those softcore yep. porn movies. It's the English method. For a, for a while, you know, hard stuff in England was pretty much banned. Um, you couldn't see a hard dick. So back in them days, your late 90s, your early 2000s, what have you... Um, probably more late 90s, I think. I, the years blur for me. But you'd get these porn channels. They couldn't show any deep dick in. So you'd see these tight-angled shots of a woman's face cut off just below her nose while her head goes back and forth. And that's pretty much all those films were. And any shots they had where it was just, like, the man's ass going up against her. You couldn't see anything. It was that and those below-the-nose head-bobbing shots. Yeah, you were meant to get off to that. There are... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there... I can remember there would be these movies uh, starring Julie Strain or Shannon Tweed or, you know, any number of these other um, buxom women. And, you know, you might see a little flash of breast... Um, and, and there would be simulated sex and it feels so like, I feel so sad in a way. It's not that this was high art or, or, you know, but there was, it was a cottage industry that's now, it's now been decimated so that, you know, porn houses, uh, can, you know, edit their stuff to look exactly the same. I mean, it's not like they're still showing these pulled back shots of these people fucking. They're just at an angle where you couldn't see a dong or a vagina. You know, you're getting doggy style shots at a three quarter angle. So, yeah. you, you know, you, you could think, oh, maybe they're not fucking, even though obviously they are and they've just worked around it. Uh, it but it's just so I, what happened to the Shannon Tweeds of the world? Like, you know, are, what are they doing now? Are they just stripping and doing porn? That's just it seems sad that they that they have less options i don't know there was a craft there was, I mean, a time. There was more craftsmanship in your shannon tweed films than there were in any of arcade well certainly certainly you know if you tell me to, uh, to sit down and watch a whole shannon tweed film not just the bits that people cared about oh no but the whole film you could watch a whole one of those movies absolutely do that if i didn't have to watch arcade well, and they're often cheeky, and you know they're they're aware they're self aware of what they are, and uh, which there's... again puts it above many full moon. Oh films. yeah, yeah. That's the worst thing about this film is that full moon make inherently crap, stupid films, and when they lean into that, all right, that's fine. But you get something like this, and you think, 
oh my god, you really thought you were making something good here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You thought you were making something serious because this isn't cheesy, this isn't silly. You're trying to be, uh, you're trying to be. Uh, you're trying to be uh, earnest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So in the arcade, Stilts bumps into a larger asshole than him who gets in his face and says that Space Invaders is for a slur referring to mentally challenged people. And they trade that slur back and forth a bit. And that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in for a penny, in for a pound at that point. I suppose. Um, and as an alter... Also, hmm? I love how they set this guy up to be like the bully one of the film. He yeah. never comes back, does he? He's mentioned in passing. Maybe mentioned, yeah, yeah, but like it's not like he's going to be the real world antagonist that they have to deal with and learn something about themselves along the way. Yeah, um, which you know, in a regular film, you'd have that. You'd have the school bully they have to deal with, and maybe their experiences with the video game stuff helps them overcome the bully in real life. Or you know, maybe like maybe that. he gets in their way as they're trying to get to the arcade yeah. to like save the day or whatever. Or he aligns with the evil arcade machine and becomes an enemy player in the game. I mean, here I am. Yeah. We've been in this situation many times before, where we just start writing their film but better. <laughs> I'm already excited about Arcade 2. Yes, this this is going to be a fine project, and I'm sure we can get Full Moon to buy our screenplay. I just realized this. I'm starting to realize we could make a film, Conrad. It wouldn't be a good film, but Full Moon would give us some money. Surely. So, uh, as an altercation starts with this bully, Mr. Finster, who is yeah. the owner of the establishment. Went, One which, sec. I'm going to, I mean, mm-hmm. no, keep talking, actually. I'm going to tweet at Full Moon and ask <laughs> if we can have some, some money to, to make, make a film. We just watched Arcade and we, we know we could do better. <laughs> I'm going to tell them that I'm, I want to do a sequel to Arcade. <laughs> yeah, 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 get that ball rolling. This so, Full Moon we'll horror. Have, have their people call our people, but no, I'm... This uh, when uh, when I hear the name Mister Finster, you know, I mean, well, obviously, I'm thinking of like Mister Feely, who was the I think the cop on uh, Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, or maybe he was the mailman. But Mister Finster, I hear that name, I think of like an older gentleman, maybe a little thinner, you know, might be cranky, maybe. But Finster seems like such a jovial name, and here is this large kind of he's about the same size as the bully. Same shape as the bully, just a little bit older than the bully. Could be the bully's father for all we know, but he just he 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 comes charging in and berates. I mean, he kicks the shit. He just assaults both of these. Yeah, presumably both of them youths. The bully looks like he's about thirty-four. Well, and he berates Stilts for getting into a fight with a guy who could obviously kick the shit out of him. <laughs> Which, <laughs> whoa, okay. Victim blaming right off the bat. And then he turns to the bully, who talks more shit about the arcade and the dumb marketing event that's happening there. And then suddenly a spooky voice comes out of the back room. This cues a salesman, Difford, played by John DeLancey. Q. I want to just call him Q. It's all I called him throughout the film. In in his best uh, uh, curly mullet thing that he's got going on. It's, a, it's an interesting look for, for John. It's really, it's like full perm look on him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's vibrant. It's about the most lively thing in this film. And, and, and his first, I love that his very first 
action in this, or the second action that he makes. Because his first action is to deliver a line with no passion or energy whatsoever. And his second action is to roll his eyes in the most forced, obvious manner a human being <laughs> can. As if he's like, okay, it's for the paycheck. Uh, I tweeted Full Moon, by the way. Okay, all right. Well, I, wrote, you... I wrote, Dear Full Moon Horror, we just saw the motion picture arcade, and we think we could write a sequel to arcade. If you give us some money, we will write a sequel to arcade. You'd have to try and get Seth Green back. We don't know him. <laughs> I swear to God, Jib, if something ever comes of that... <laughs> I could... I, I could... I could happily make a movie for Full Moon and probably just on my own end get it funded better. Can you, uh, well, I mean, Seth Green, with all of his resources, if we just got Seth Green, this whole thing would be solved. Start tweeting at Seth Green. (laughs) So so, uh, Q leads the kids to the back room where a fancy machine awaits. And he starts kissing all their asses about how important their opinions are to the success of this game. And then he immediately invites Alex to play. But Stilts interrupts him, saying that she always loses. Because that's the running theme with Alex, is that she's always a failure and she always loses. And every one of her such quote-unquote friends (laughs) repeatedly reminds her of what a loser she is. She has no support system. No wonder she's fucking depressed. She has yeah. nobody in her life who gives a shit about her. And and people only dissuading her from attempting any sort of support or help. Oh. I, I've let Seth Green know that everything rides on him. But... <laughs> I think he's the linchpin of getting this oh, film yeah. made. Yeah, he's definitely, definitely the, the guy to it- get. We'll call it Arcade 2, the Tron years. <laughs> uh, so Nick starts sassing. He, remember, he's the one who knows a lot about the video games. I, uh, he starts sassing about he heard they had a bunch of design problems, and he asks what's so fucking special about the game. So Q runs down the feature list, saying that the game is reactive. It learns as you play. It changes strategy and becomes more challenging. Plus, it's like virtual reality, and you'll feel like you're really there and stuff. So Nick agrees to play, gets in the machine, puts on the cyber gloves as it's explained that they're going to allow him to feel the objects he picks up in the game. Oh, and there are goggles. Cool. They go to a lot of effort to explain, you know, how this stuff is supposed to, like, translate from the machine to the player in, you know, in the experience that they're going to have. And I think that that's interesting because uh, there's a lot – I have a lot of questions later. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's weird that they didn't get them answered here. Um, uh, Nick gets in there, and he's getting all set up. On the controllers, there's an escape button, which the player can use to end the game at any time. And Nick asks what the game's the scenario is. And Different doesn't really answer that, because it's easier to just say you enter the virtual world. Fine. Uh, but there's seven stages that lead to the brain at the heart of the game brain at the heart of the game, huh? Uh, Differed, he, Q, he ponies up a quarter to start the game, and the doors of the machine close with Nick inside. And so the machine, the, the, the engine, 
introduces itself and asks for Nick, Nick's name as this blue light fills the chamber. And when he's asked by one of the other kids, I can't remember who, Q explains that the game is memorizing Nick's features. So, like, they're really... Oh, yeah, because it learns. Yeah, it learns, and, and it identifies individuals. It's like that individuals. video game Rise of the Robots that gets harder or easier as you play it. <laughs> and and very much like Rise of the Robots, this movie doesn't work. Uh, Nick's dumped into a dungeon called the Corridors of Doom. Mm-hmm. And Arcade explains that he has limited time to ride a skateboard and find the exit before Arcade releases something called The Screamer. Skateboard? Oh, this is so 90s. Like, it's peak 90s. Oh, no, th- this movie is totally tubular. Mm. It's not. It's moderately tubular. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it threatens to be tubular, I would say. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Almost tubular. Not at all radical. No. No, God, sir. the 90s were awesome. Why can't it be the 90s again? It practically is, except, you know, uh, we're just aware of all of the racism and sexism going on around us. Other than that, like, aren't the 90s back? Isn't fashion all 90s again? Well, look, we got this uh, Supreme Court confirmation uh, with with Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, we had Clarence Thomas. Wasn't that the early 90s? I mean, heck. I know, I was in England in the early 90s, so, so, so I think for me was... it was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because Ninja was too violent. <laughs> that's what we were dealing with. That's, that's rough. That's rough. So Nick doesn't seem particularly impressed by the game at first, and that is the correct response. Uh, but he eventually starts feeling the pressure somehow. And again, this is, this is a computer-generated dungeon hallway with these chromey spiky bits that are just sticking out and rotating and not I don't know what how they're supposed to be threatening in any way uh and he's wearing a black jumpsuit and a black motorcycle helmet and riding a black skateboard it's hideous like it's just it wouldn't have shown up so much on the blue screen well certainly but there's nothing else defining about it either. And, and oh, no. I, you know, I wonder if they had at some point planned to do a Tronny type visual effect over top of the, the suits. They didn't. No, they, they did not. They did nothing they of the sort. They just wear a, a black leotards and a, a spray painted helmet. And it's a matte finish. You know, like this, it's just, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it looks like a, like a high school play. But somehow Nick does start feeling the pressure, and eventually we see a yellow, mite, a yellow light that's moving through the corridors, and uh, Nick hits the escape button, button just before he runs into it, and he's you know, sweating and palpitating heart, and he tells Greg, oh, you gotta, you gotta play this thing. So Alex agrees to let Greg play and holds his keys for him. Um, I don't even... I don't even know how to feel about that interaction. Uh, but he hops into the game. Q starts it up again before leading all of the kids back into the main hall, saying he's got home versions of the game that he wants to give them. And the game's going to be released in a month's time, and Q explains that the kids are a test marketing group. He gives them boxes and questionnaires to fill out. But meanwhile, Greg's all alone in the back room playing arcade. And he runs into a screaming chrome skull. 
and after Arcade welcomes uh, him to his world, and, and, and Alex walks into the back room and finds the machine is empty, except for that fucked up selfie that they took earlier. Where did Greg go? So Alex goes looking for Greg. And she finds the rest of the gang near the stairs out. And they suggest that he might have gone outside because he does that when he gets bored. And it's a really labored exchange that's hideous. And they go outside. And outside there's no Greg and Nick's no help. But hey, Alex has Greg's keys. So she just takes his car back to her house. <laughs> Free car. Why, why not? And, and after an excruciatingly long shot of her walking into her house... Yeah, his- these shots end up so long that later on in the film they establish that only a day has passed, <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I think I, I messaged you at one point and just said, this is the longest film I've ever watched that doesn't even reach 90 minutes. No, yeah, it's... it's It's like an hour and 20 minutes, this film, Yeah, not se- including credits. No, that's including credits. It's 77 including, minutes. Sorry, yeah, including credits, I meant to say, yeah. 77 minutes with credits. There's two minutes of credits at the beginning. Yeah, and it feels so long, this film. You know, but it is literally, she gets out. We see her exit the car, walk around the front of the car to the path to the steps, up one short step. Uh, set to a landing, up another short set of steps to a front door, open the door, go inside, door close. We see all of that. When all of it could have easily been accomplished with her pulling into the driveway and then cutting to her being inside. There are these terrible horror movies that you can find if you go far enough back uh, in in the Amazon listings, Mm -hmm. and they are I want to say they're based on Edgar Allan Poe and sort of Lovecraft and stuff like that. It's not. They just name them after famous things. So there's a movie called The Tomb. There's a movie called The Raven. And they got nothing to do with with the source material. Um, but they are full of this, where every 20 minutes you might see a kill or something happening. But most of it is establishing shots because that eats up time and none of these movies have to know how to do pacing or atmosphere. They think you just linger. Just linger in a dentist's office for 15 minutes while you wait for something to happen. And this film is on that level sometimes where they don't know how to pace a scene. They don't know how to establish a scene. So they just, they just film all of the boring drudgery establishing stuff and keep it in the film they don't cut it down uh, it's like zat it's like watching the doctor in zat walk down the street to go to his lab and you see the entire walk down the street even if it's 10 minutes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after this shot she finds her father passed out on the couch likely drunk judging by the liquor bottles all over the coffee table and after they have a brief completely meaningless exchange she puts a blanket on him and that's the last we'll see of him in the movie uh she heads upstairs to her room and considers calling greg uh before opening up the box with the arcade home unit uh and we see she picks up the phone starts to call and then she puts the phone down and that's so that we can see that the, there's a clock on the phone and we can see it's 6 30 and so she hooks up Arcade to the television and turns it on, and Arcade immediately dresses, addresses her by name, saying he saw her watching, mentions Greg, says he's inside the game because he lost, 
and then Alex is transported to the corridors of doom. And an arcade reminds her that she always fails. Oh, I see you've been talking to her friends. <sighs> Alex is transported. She's freaked out. She stays frozen in place for a bit, and then she just hits the escape button and quits. Then Arcade taunts her for having failed and invites her to try again. And she goes to call Greg, and, and at Arcade's prompting, she observes the clock again, and oh my god, six hours passed. Why can't they do that with everything in this movie? Felt like six hours have passed while watching. Up, up to that film. point, sure, yeah. Um, she tries to call Greg. Uh, Greg's mother's answer. Uh, Greg's mother answers. She and she says that he hasn't come home. To which Arcade replies, "Greg's never coming home." Ooh, spooky. So she calls Nick, who says she, you know, he's not responsible for her boyfriend. And Arcade tries to explain, "Hey, listen, I told you where your boyfriend is. He's like right here. Why don't you come play?" Da, da, da. Alex insists on meeting up with Nick to talk about the situation and hangs up. And before she leaves, she tries to turn off Arcade, but it doesn't work. She then tries to unplug it, and the plug refuses to come out of the socket until she hears her mother's voice calling to her, and it flies out, and she falls back. They're doing another Puppet Master film already, they've announced. Oh, are they? Puppet Master Blitzkrieg Massacre Bunker of Blood Chapter 1. And it's a clip show. It's a clip show episode as mm. a movie. Oh, well, they've done that before, I think. You know, or, or there have been Puppet Master movies where you could say that a good 30% of it is flashback footage to yeah. other Puppet Master movies. In an unknown dystopian future, a drifter with an unusually high tolerance to pain is held captive in a horrific hospital by the circle of psychosurgeons, a clandestine crew of MDs. Uh, that's medical deviants, who are experimenting with human suffering. Suddenly our shackled hero hears the call of the Gore Collector, a sadistic curator of carnage, they love their alliteration, who is well past his prime and now seeks an heir to take over his evil operation. Escaping from the lurid lab, the drifter enters the underground lair of the Gore Collector and there, the perverse programmer pops in a vile videotape and begins the process of trying to warp the man's mind with the goriest and gruesomest moments from some of Full Moon's most iconic film franchises runtime 62 minutes <laughs> that's i wrote i read that out here because that synopsis is more entertaining than anything in this film and that synopsis will be more entertaining than puppet master blitzkrieg massacre bunker of blood chapter one oh it's such a shame because i've heard that the new puppet master ain't bad that's surely that's not bad for puppet the master standards, standards of, right yes yeah i yeah, know yeah, i should have should have been clear. <laughs> They're bringing oh. out some uh, one-to-one replicas of all of the puppets as well. Oh, now that that I can get behind. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind getting me a, a puppet master. Apparently, they sell out a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, where were we? Oh, yeah. After another long walk out of her house, we cut to Nick's, where he's playing arcade. And Alex climbs through his window and interrupts him by hitting the escape button on his controller. Not cool. Don't do that to people. And he comments on an image that he's seeing in the goggles, a CGI animation that he suggests could be a screensaver that he finds mesmerizing. Uh, this is the same graphic that we saw in the credits. And he keeps 
telling Alex to, to look at it as if she could see it. And as he continues to stare, she says something weird's going on with Greg not coming home. And this crazy idea that maybe the game might be alive somehow because it knew her name and how it told her Greg was in the game. And Nick suggests that, yeah, something's probably up with Greg, but that this video game probably doesn't have anything to do with it because it's just a program and not a thing that's alive. And, you know, maybe that's the case, but I don't know anything about Greg. Like, if they'd set him up to be a troubled character in some way that, like, it's conceivable he could run away. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Um, Because, obviously, I'm looking at Full Moon's Twitter to see if they reply to us quickly. Right. At 7 in the morning. Um, They they do comics. They do comic books. I don't know if you remember the the hit Marvel series, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, Yeah. Oh, they've got one of their own that just copies that. Uh, Doll Man Kills the Full Moon Universe. They missed a trick not calling it the Full Mooniverse. Mm. Um, see, I'm already... Give us some money, Full Moon. We will do this shit for you. Doll Man is the film about the man who on his planet is normal-sized, but when he moves to this planet, he's little. Oh, okay. Um, now, the best thing about Doll Man Kills the Full Moon Universe is the cover, which is the only thing I'm looking at, and I'm assuming it's the best thing. Um, it's got a picture of Dollman falling into just a whole bunch of characters from full moon things. You can see uh, Tunneler here, uh, Six Shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only remember the Puppet Master ones, but they're all here. And he's got a speech bubble, um, or a thought bubble, as he falls into them. <laughs> and this is the front cover of the comic book. <laughs> And it's got a typo on it. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I've got feeling this ain't gonna end well. Oh, no. They left out an A on the front cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. Oh, man. This is all better than their movie. Yep. Uh, so, he he suggests that she's just imagined the thing with her knowing it, it, the game knowing her name because she's paranoid and afraid afraid of everything. Again, I cannot stress enough how supportive her friends are. And as she tries to defend herself, she observes that hey, you know, the game's turned itself back on over there and points to the TV as evidence, which he dismisses as a technical glitch. And she's like, hey, let's just let's just call our friends. So Nick calls Stilts, but the line is busy. So they try Laurie, also busy. And Nick's like, oh, they're probably talking to each other. But Benz's line is also busy, and nobody wants to talk to that fucking asshole. So, you know, clearly something weird's going on. Nick tries to comfort her, says that they should get some sleep, and it'll all make sense in the morning, because ben, Benz does not have friends. She leaves through the window asks Nick not to play the game further, which he seems to agree to, and he tries to turn the television off after she leaves, but it doesn't respond. And there's a, a there's that famous fractal pattern that, you know, if, if you looked up, if you did a, a an image search for a fractal, you would immediately see it. Anyway, you know, the it looks like uh, cells growing off each other forever, and you could forever zoom into it, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, that thing, yeah. that thing. There's a name for it that I don't remember. Who cares? Next night, Stilts and Nick, they're talking about how Stilts went out the night before and sexually assaulted his date. Very cool. 
Very oh, cool. Oh, yeah, it's about squeezing the big... And they, they don't want to say boobs on this film for some reason. So it's all the big old, oh, oh yeah, squeeze them. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, yes. They, they, they want to, they're, they're totally fine with their lovable scamp smart-ass character, you know, assaulting a woman. But they can't describe, they can't use the words yeah. to describe where. That's... Well, they got to save that for their surrender label, which Full Moon has. And that's exclusively those not porn films. Oh, uh, I was again just scrolling through their Twitter to see if there's anything you know oh, wacky well, they've been up to. Now I, I now I because if there's one thing, if there's one company I I I am grateful is carrying on the mantle the mantle of the B movie uh, softcore skin flick. It's yeah, Full Moon I mean, Entertainment. <laughs> as of 16 hours ago, they threw Real Naughty Vice Girls two up on Amazon. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm going to spend probably three dollars watching <laughs> that. Well, they have they have a full moon subscription service. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, like you'd think that you know the least they could do is roll it up in the Shudder stuff. No, no. So if you subscribe to Shudder, but no, you need to. I I was tempted once because I went through a period of rewatching some Puppet Master films. Um, did the usual you get up to the second one and then just don't bother um but i was thinking god would i get enough out of a full moon subscription and i thought no but that was before i knew that real naughty vice girls 2 was was up <laughs> you know i i did not use the full moon free week to watch arcade i you know i just said no i'm just gonna rent it it's fine it's only three bucks yeah yeah, yeah. but but but, ooh, ooh! Mm-hmm. I wouldn't spend that money on uh, on real naughty Vice Girls too, not when Bikini Frankenstein is out. Oh my god! Oh, okay. You know now this is gonna be a thing. This is gonna turn into a thing. I'm gonna watch like half a dozen of these after I get home. Oh my god! So Alex shows up and observes that. They're the only three here, Stilts, Nick, and herself. And uh, and, and Alex asks Stilts if he played arcade, but but he didn't because his TV is broken and his father is watch his, watching his news. And, oh, yeah, he was trying to date rape someone. And Alex goes on to say that she tried calling all the others and their phones were out of order. So she went, like, full P.I. and Made a list of everyone who had been at Dante's Inferno the night before, including the asshole that had gotten into a fight with Stilts calling all of them and finding all of their lines are out of order too okay now i'm sorry after about half a dozen of these i'd have called the phone company why didn't she call the phone company to find out why all of these because that's just inconceivable that that many lines would all be connected at once she's just not a great detective um still suggests that they put her in a straitjacket super supportive and Alex pleads with Nick to, ha- uh, to help her to check it out. And Stilts is just a cop. He's really awful. Like, there's just no redeeming quality to him whatsoever. Uh, Nick agrees on the condition that she's going to drop this when they find out everything's fine, and they ask Stilts to hang out and not watch TV, which he responds to by relentlessly taunting Alex uh, about, you know, her mental health uh, until Nick shuts him down. So Alex and Nick go to Laurie's This is house. why the Stiltsverse never took off. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is why it's not Stilts kills the full moon universe. 
Alex and Nick head to Laurie's house. They take their sweet time parking. So we get another nice long establishing shot. And Nick tells Alex to wait in the car, but she ain't having that shit. And they walk up to ring the bell. And they get no response, but not actually waiting the adequate amount of time to expect a response. Like they ring the bell and they one, two beats. And okay, well, let's go around back. Well, fine. Uh, They see Laurie through a door with windows in front of her TV, and when she doesn't respond to their knocking, Alex just breaks one of the panes of glass and opens the door from the inside and finds Laurie is just in ecstasy, staring at angels that only she can see. And Arcade appears on the TV screen, introducing himself. And Alex moves to turn it off, but Laurie just, like, freaks out and bats her away because she's clearly very engrossed in what's happening on this screen. She's not, she doesn't have the goggles on her face or anything. She's just, like, staring into space and it is it's 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 kind of stupidly inconsistent because greg just disappeared right away and here we have this thing just to make it spooky it's so greg uh, appears on the tv screen now and asks alex not to leave him there but then Arcade seems to suggest to Nick that, hey, you know, you guys could just ignore Greg, and, and Nick, you could take Alex for himself, which, okay, now they're viewing her as property? This, I swear. I, you know, I mean, I, I want... I, Do you think that the movie Housewives from Another World would be more progressive? <laughs> When space aliens invade the bodies of three beautiful Earth women, they soon learn to have sex and more sex. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Uh, so, um, this is, you know, Greg is now very urgent in wanting to deal with this situation and turn it off. He's a bit embarrassed. Clearly, he, he, or Bikini Nick. Bikini time machine? Sorry, I'm going to put my phone down now. Bikini time machine isn't getting beaten. Uh, Arcade says that if Alex doesn't want to play the game by his rules, then he'll just fuck with her in the real world. And then suddenly the room is bathed in light, and the TV turns into a sucking vortex. It, I feel like that was... Wasn't that done in one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets? Probably. I, I'm not quite sure what the rules are with Arcade. Like, like what it, it is and isn't capable of. It does seem to just be whatever it wants. Yeah. Um, Nick stops this sucking vortex by sticking a coat rack into the TV. And Alex goes back to Laurie, who turns and smiles at her before saying, Poor baby, in Arcade's voice. Okay. Uh, Nick asks if she's breathing, which Alex confirms. Uh, and then, and then Nick suggests that they should leave her to possibly die rather than have to explain this to any sort of authority (laughs) figure. That's pretty much the the full moon movie-making process. Just send it out to die before you have to tell anyone what you did. Uh, Thankfully, the problem seems to solve itself because when Alex turns back to Laurie again, her body's disappeared, just leaving the the gloves and the goggles. Uh, (laughs) A.K.A. the evidence. Right. Alex suggests they go to Vertigotronics because, hey, they made the game. They might know how it works. So they go there, and in the lobby, they meet a smarmy receptionist who refused to let them see uh, Q without an appointment. And Nick suggests that he'll become a PR nightmare for the company by telling the press that their games have been whispering satanic suggestions to him. 
which prompts the receptionist to make a call. I mean, this this was um, not quite satanic panic. It was like right at the end of the satanic panic stuff and right before the uh, violence and video game stuff. It's like nestled yeah. right in that... It found that sweet spot where neither of those themes were, were relevant. All that relevant. <laughs> uh, it, it, I mean, now by 1993, I guess that that Mortal Kombat would have hit the scene, so it would have been timely, but not when he wrote it. So, or not when it was produced. It's a great job. Uh, in the offices, an executive stops by Difford's office, Q's office, to taunt him to you know a completely pointless scene about the urgent need for arcade arcade to succeed, or else there's going to be layoffs. Um, yeah, you'd think that... Again, I was waiting for Q to have more of a role in this. Yeah. Like, evil corporate executive or something like that. If I recall correctly, he's just a bloke. Yeah, yeah. At well, the end of the day, he's just, he's just working his job. Well, and I've seen synopsis that read as though they were, like, written by Full Moon. You know, that suggests he's a CEO. And here in this scene, we see him as just probably middle management or upper middle management at best. He seems yeah. beleaguered and, you know, not powerful. He's got no impact on the plot. No, he, he, he honestly, he seems like a VP of sales. That's yeah. what he seems like. Um, so they, uh, Difford gets the phone call to come and meet the kids, and, and Alex and Nick take a seat, and Nick's feeling pretty good about himself, like blackmailing these people. And Q comes out and meets them, and Alex tries to tell him that there's something wrong with the game, and it's hurting people, and they're led to his office, and she tries to say, oh, the game's a lie, but Nick interrupts because, you know, he doesn't want her taking the train all the way to crazy town, because apparently, you know, everybody's just completely alienated by her, and will immediately think that she's a worthless waste of space. Yeah, that's just, that's just the relationship. Um... And so he gives the much more believable explanation that they want some tips to impress their friends when they play. And so Q takes them to meet, I guess, the only character who is in any way sympathetic whatsoever, uh, the programmer. Yeah. And maybe uh, Albert. I mean, I think Arcade itself is sympathetic from the standpoint of it's getting rid of characters like Stilts. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and it's it's supposed to be sympathetic because it's gonna he has this tragic backstory, I guess. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, so they ask Albert for some tips, and he sh- he offers to show them the game's schematics that map out the environment. Um, yeah, yeah, this is a. Uh, this was clearly a, a writer that had their finger on the pulse of late, uh, of early 90s game development. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably, like, spoke with, interviewed game developers to get their perspective. And, and you know, there's this thing in movies called Research, which was probably done loads. Uh, also, hey, there's keys in the game, which we were never told about before. And the keys are the keys to winning the game. Yeah, and and it, if you get three of them, you inherit arcade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's four keys that that, that that apparently are mentioned, and after you get the fourth key, you get a chance for an extra life. And uh, it's not really clearly stated where the keys are found, but don't worry about it. Just don't yep. worry. About it. <laughs> All we need to know is that the movie has objectives. 
Um, and he explains again how the Screamer is released uh, after a time limit eventually, and that there's no defeating it, only escape, and that each level gives you less time to complete it than the previous one. Uh, so Nick detects that there's something that Albert isn't telling them and demands to know what it is. And so Albert reveals that they used brain cells from a brain-dead patient to make the game. Somehow. (laughs) But it was totally ethical. Totally ethical. Somehow. This is all Alex needs to confirm her suspicion that the game is actually alive. And Albert encourages them, hey, you know, just don't play the game anymore. But they're way past that point. So as they leave, he gives them a paper roll of the schematics. <laughs> and reassures Alex that the game isn't really alive. And he reminds them they can always press the escape button if things get too intense. And Alex, in a very poignant, dramatic scene, asks, what happens if the escape button doesn't work? <gasps> yep. Which, I, I remember this scene thinking, why isn't he staying for an answer? That's not, that is not a philosophical <laughs> gotcha that you end a conversation on. That's an actual question that needs to be answered. And it's a, but he just treats it like a gotcha. Well, yeah, well Alex, she, yeah, she, she just turns and walks away and he sits there and stares and it's like a revelation to him that this is even a possibility. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that'd the be a pretty bad glitch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then uh, he, they make a point of showing us him writing down the name of Dante's Inferno, so it'll make sense if he shows up later. Driving, Alex asks Nick where they should go play arcade, and Nick suggests they could just not play arcade and drive off together and not look back like she wanted to with her boyfriend and not him. She lets him down surprisingly gently. Or, I don't know, maybe as gently as you'd want to, considering he's behind the wheel of a moving vehicle and you're trapped in there with him after he says this. I don't know. But uh, instead, they do go to Dante's Inferno and slowly meander into the back room. And it's completely empty and just open, I guess. Like, And they don't want to waste time filming an explanation as to how they got in yeah yeah but they do want like the bully one at the beginning of the film they've got to get past him somehow but they do want to show us 45 seconds of walking into or out of a house oh yeah yeah cool you don't have to think about that you just tell the performer to walk right here you'd have to write a scene, you'd have to rehearse it, you'd have to film it. It'd be a whole table the read process. Yeah. 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 No. Fair Someone enough. Someone would have had to have thought. So they they meander into the back room. Nick gets into the machine and tries to start it, but it won't start, and he can't figure out why you can't play an arcade machine without putting a fucking quarter in. He's the goddamn <laughs> games expert. And Alex insists they're going to co-op, which I, w- I didn't even know that that was a feature. Maybe that's only available in the arcade version. It's it's only available when the scene wants, oh, wants it to come up. Gotcha. The arcade machine gets a new features as the plot requires. 
Uh, and after they have a short fight where Alex explains that she really doesn't have anything to live for, and I mean, if we look at it, dead mom, useless dad, boyfriend, and video game machine, abusive peer relationships, that all tracks, right? Yeah, I mean, a world that seems to conspire to keep her down. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is... This is fine. They <laughs> She's better off in the video game world. Yeah. Uh, they enter the game together, and Arcade taunts Alex again, noting the similarities in their lives in that they were both ruined by their mothers, and, uh, and gets things, you know, started. And in the game, Nick realizes that they don't have the schematics. But Alex has cunningly written them on her arm. Because obviously, that's completely different than holding the physical object. You, you can't bring paper into the game world, but ink is fine. It's, it's like how only organic material can go through the time machine in uh, Terminator. Time. Right, right. Only ink. Only flesh and ink can go into the video game world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, as long as the organic material... Compl- you'd send me- metal and stuff, but it all has to yeah. be covered in organic material. Why didn't they just, like, lay the schematics out, like, on their lap, and then every so often just peel the goggles back and look down? <laughs> yeah, all they have to do is <laughs> lean their head back and look down a little bit. Like, these are goggles in an arcade machine that are, like, fixed in position. For the most part. This is not, you know, like a VR headset that they're wearing. Who knows? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, because they wanted it to seem neat. Oh, and also, it's just the list of the names of the levels on the one arm. So if she's got a bunch more notes elsewhere that we ain't seeing, fine. <laughs> but I'm really yeah. not sure how this so- is supposed to help. Somehow she drew the entire map on her back. Yeah, this is some whole memento shit. Yeah. yeah, the other guy has to just keep lifting up her shirt and looking at it to check where to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's torture for him because he, I'm sure, loved to sexually assault her, just like you know, stilts would in this position. <sighs> that's how that's how people express affection in the arcade verse, in the stilts verse. <laughs> the stilts verse. The, the extended stilts verse. Extended stilts cinematic universe. Yep, stilts kills the full moon verse. <laughs> um. They pick up their skateboards and wander off in the direction her notes supposedly tell her. And Nick tells her to leave him behind if something should go wrong. And off they go. Uh, Skateboarding happens. They find a door. But now remember, they need to find keys also. Oh, wait a minute. The key is hanging literally on the doorframe from a nail. That's useful. That works out. Phew! I thought this Big was old green key. I thought this was going to be some whole dragged out thing that was going to have to be written. It was going to be complicated or whatever. Yeah, oh. I mean, you you start to wonder like, there's seven levels here, <laughs> and and that's going to take some time to get. No, no, <laughs> no, they, no. They, they 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 rush through those at a decent clip. Yeah, because well, they only had enough money for the CGI for level one. It's something I forgot to put into the the, the synopsis here and mention is that the, the Albert the, the programmer mentioned that hey uh, the doors may not always be what we seem what they seem to be you know they might not always seem like doors and here immediately in the first level door very obvious clearly a door that's level one things things are gonna get harder they're gonna do the the prisoner riddle well the door opens to an exterior and they're uncertain if that's the next level or not 
And so Alex steps through, but Nick hesitates until the screamer's almost on him, while warning Alex not to get distracted by that fractal pattern that he was so fond of earlier. And when he does leap through at the last second, he's been injured on the back. (gasps) So Alex is ready to move on ahead, and Nick says he'll be with her shortly. When Ben's cries out from a short distance away, Hey, remember Ben's? This was all his idea. Fuck that guy. This was awful. Oh, yeah. The the performing here was, Alex, help. (laughs) It was so bad. There's no sense of urgency. Yeah. Uh, yeah, It's hideous. And he's he's in some sort of pit, half submerged, screaming for help from a short distance away. Bubbly pink water. Nick, meanwhile, is distracted by the very same fractal thing that he warned Alex about mere seconds ago. Yep. And as Alex tries to rescue Ben's from the pit that he's sinking in, he, you know, falls in and drowns, but he's holding the second key in his hand, and that's all she manages to get a hold of. And again, this is the the bit where they're just on some dirt. Yeah. Where level one was all CG, and they didn't want to do that again so now it's just some color saturation and some mud yeah it's pink sky and and a desert landscape ish thing and some mud inexplicably in this sort of patchy brown crap the water that that benz is in is real it's just real bubbling pink liquid yeah and then she stares into the pool and her mother's face appears calling to her And this, uh, I guess, distracts her until the sky breaks open and Alex realizes that the screamer is coming. Nick's still staring at the fucking fractal thing. (laughs) (laughs) When the screamer flies at him and he statics out of existence. And it's... Is this the first time we see it in full? I forget. Uh, no, we see... Well, this is the, the, the full, full view, because we see the skull front we of it. We see the skull, the chrome skull. When it attacks uh, yeah. Greg in the beginning, but this is the first time. For the time. most part, it's a yellow light, mm-hmm. and now we see it in all its glory. Uh, imagine a dragon in Beast Wars, but done by a two-year-old. Yeah, it's got this weird human-ish skull face. But yeah. it, it's like it if it it makes the dragon at the end of Mortal Kombat Armageddon look like Jurassic fucking Park. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's all chromey in that early cheap CG way so that they could get around the you know need for good texturing and detail. They just put like a chrome overlay on it, and it, it's picture a human skull, and now imagine if. Once you got to, you know, the cheekbone temple area, you just extend that back three, four times the distance of what you would expect a human skull to be. Almost like if you were making an alien without the curve, stuck a a couple of crappy little dragon wings on the back rear of it. And did it have a little tail thing? I feel like it had a little tail thing. I think the whole thing ended in a a tail thing. it's, It's like... It's like the magic school bus was redesigned by Rob Zombie lazily. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, yeah. So she reboot reboot. Yes. Is so much better than this. Yeah, yeah. But it's but it, you could see like reboot looked at this and said we can do better. Yeah. 
Um, so with nowhere else to go, Alex just jumps into the bubbling pool of pink liquid. And lo and behold, that was the door. So... Yeah, I don't know why Ben's was over yeah, there. Yeah, why isn't Ben's over here? <coughs> uh, very confused. In the real world, Albert wakes Nick up, having intervened to pull him out of the game. So he didn't actually get hit by the screamer. Albert just pulled him out at the last moment because the escape button's not working now. <gasps> it's the very thing that was suggested might happen. Uh, but now Albert can't do that thing again to get Alex out because now Arcade's aware of his presence and has prevented him from being able to do that because he's learned, you see. That's what Arcade does. What Arcade does, yeah. Alex finds herself Jesus. at a river with two boats and two boatmen who are Stilts and Lori, and they do the fucking riddle with one of them this lying. This is where I started groaning and like out loud. It was painful. And one of them's telling the truth, and either can take them to one or two cities, and she has to figure out which is the one she's supposed to go to. And it's dumb. And she asks some. She asks the truth teller which, or she asks the one who says that they're a liar which city that he'd take them to, and then she goes to the other one. And it's dumb. That's what this film should have been called, Ready Player Dumb. So she takes the boat being piloted by the, you know, crappy, act, crappily acting Laurie, which, again, you know, if I had to choose between the acting performances of these two child actors, it, I would not go with Seth Green under these circumstances. No. He, he is actually worse. He, he doesn't pull off brooding. No, he can't do it. I mean, it. neither of them do, but... but. She does a better job than the other uh, I, mean, I guess he kind of got a little bit better at it once the Buffy stuff was a log. But even then, he was that character that was... That was tortured musician. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't dark, edgy, broody, I'm dressed up like the Grim Reaper from Bill and Ted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she solves the riddle, takes Laurie's boat, and on the trip they find a child drowning in the river. And Alex pulls him out. And that's the free life that she's awarded. Hey, hey. So at the entrance to the next stage, she talks to the boy and compliments them on, uh, on, her, on their, their playing ability to have gotten so far. And the kid wants to go home. She patiently explains that, oh, well, we got to kill a monster first. And then they enter a racing stage where she gets enveloped in something called a sky cycle, which I guess she is piloting and you're not seeing me make these air quotes that i'm making but i'm hoping my <laughs> voice is conveying it uh i don't know what she's doing in there but they're chased by other ships with skull faces for a bit in in this is another just very dated cgi sequence at least there's activity in this one as opposed to the the dungeon crawly skateboarding yeah. stage but i mean it's not yeah that's just a uh you know, the in-CGI camera just whizzing through some really shit corridors. Yeah. That first one. This is actually, a, you know, a chase. There's some other ships with skull faces, and, you know, it's like 80 seconds before it it ends in a, you know, with them flying towards a giant key, so that's subtle. Uh, they, they reach a platform, and, and Alex calls out to Arcade, and meanwhile, the boy that she's with starts backing away, and oh my gosh... The kid is Arcade. <sighs> what? Hell of a twist. The kid that we've, we've just been introduced to. Like, yeah, like two, two and a half minutes ago. 
Yeah. Yeah. The kid that we've grown to know nothing about and have no feelings towards because it was just there <laughs> is it was arcade all along. Well, don't worry. We're gonna get all the exposition right now. Because yeah. it turns out that the donor that they got the brain cells that on which Arcade is based was an abused child who was beaten into his brain death by his mother. And he's pretty pissed off that Videotronics used him to be the bad guy in their video game. So he's going to get some revenge. And as he's explaining all of this, Alex is using the keys to open up this box that's containing Arcade's heart. But she zaps the fuck out of her before she could do anything more than pick it up. And suddenly, Alex awakens in her bed. It's just like the beginning of the movie, when she found her dead mom. Except she doesn't find her dead mom. She finds her living mom. And she's all relieved and shit as they hug. And her mom moves her to her favorite chair in the corner, and Alex explain, explains that she had this horrible nightmare where her mom was dead. And her mom explains that she is dead, silly, and blows her brains out right in front of her. And then she offers to... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that Yeah, bit. and then she offers to blow Alex's braids out, too, because being dead isn't really all that bad, and this way Alex can never let her down again. Like, this is the thing. This could have been some dark shit with some good character development, and, like, this yeah. could have been a not-terrible story. There's... I see the idea of having the parallel between these two children who uh, have these who've had their mothers affect them in very, very different ways and feeling like victims of it. There's potential in that. It's just not in any... It's not realized in any aspect of this film. No. Um, Before she is shot in the head, Alex insists that she didn't let her mother down, and this is supposed to be the big, like, you know, turning point for the character finding her voice finding her resolve, which is, you know, I mean, she's the only one that's had any resolve in any of this up to this point, so I kind of feel like she was there before. And Alex taunts Arcade for having failed and suggesting that they can just play for eternity now, which that sounds super fun. If there's, you know, I mean, this Arcade would definitely make my my Desert Island games list. Um, But Alex has a free life, Remember? That thing that happened five full minutes ago? Yeah. And she sud- it's a twist. she's suddenly back in Arcade's chamber. And she throws her heart at him, throws his heart at him, commenting that he forgot about her free life. And that's a solid one liner that I'm surprised we don't hear oh, more yeah. often. <laughs> Tell you what, right? You forgot about my free life. Back in the real world. Alex awakes in the machine to find Greg waiting for her. Nick and Albert are there too, and Laurie, and even Stilts, and and there. And he asks if they're gonna. F- because she just wins. Because she just wins. Because she just comes back to life, throws a thing, and then wins. And and Stilts, oh that funny Stilts. Remember, we're we're all supposed to like the rapist Stilts. Asks if they're going to fill out the marketing questionnaires. Ha 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 Oh, I was looking forward to the scene where they fill out the questionnaires. <laughs> they showed us all the other pointless shit. The whole gag leaves the arcade in the middle of the night, and Alex has a thought about, hey, if they're not now out of the game, where's arcade gone? 
but it's dismissed by the others because she's won the game and no one has ever listened to her before. Why start now? Yeah, they do just immediately go back to writing off her concerns. After Albert spends way too long staring at the open door to Dante's Inferno, which I guess, you know, here, Albert, he was the only one that listened to her before. He's conceivably, possibly considering she might not be a complete idiot again. I don't know. But he turns around, walks away. Um, As we uh, get to see another overly long walk from Alex up to her house, uh, she she hears some whispering behind her. And she finds the Arcade home version box sitting on her stoop. And she remembers herself asking Arcade where he is before turning to find that the child Arcade is behind her saying, right here, bitch. Well, I don't know about you, Jim, but I sure have kissed reality goodbye. Yeah. I hate this film. I genuinely loathe this. Um, uh, it is it is a detestable film, yeah. mostly because it, it commits that crime of just being fucking boring. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> it is... I mean, you know, there was nothing original in it at the time, I don't think. And with the passage no. of more time, the, the tropes are all the more depressing. Uh, the acting's abysmal the 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 things that they try to establish to give the sense that there could be a story here there's there's no payoff there's no build it's just elements stuffed in so that there are things there yeah this would have if this had come out when they wanted it to this would have predated lawnmower man but as it stands it came out a year after Mm. they couldn't even like Beat Lawnmower Man to the finish line. Yeah, if they, I mean that that would have reflected on it a whole lot better. Like thinking about because I wasn't thinking about Lawnmower Man at all because that's you know, oddly a film that I liked, and I'm sure that I'm sure I'll go back now and watch it and just be horrified that I enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember. I remember enjoying Lawnmower Man back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I like Jeff Fahey. I like Pierce Brosnan. Um, yeah. You know, there's the the stuff with the, uh, the the stuff in the very beginning with the chimps and the chimp breaking out of the facility and shown from his perspective at that time was like a genuinely kind of exciting, and uh, the pacing was good. And it, you know, it, there was good filmmaking being employed at parts of that film that just don't don't exist anywhere here. Um, so, but I might have been more forgiving of this, knowing that Lawnmower Man had uh, had not predated it, uh, or you know, if if I'd know, if if it hadn't been beaten to the punch by Lawnmower Man. But that's just that's, ooh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's just bleak, and it's a a kind of quilt of crappy horror movie things that we'd seen a lot already by the time this came along. Yeah. And and unlike some of the other full moon stuff, there's no tongue in any cheeks here. No. It's just a po faced dour little film that's too dark in some places and too lit in others. And I just can't like not not again who are these people hanging out with Alex? Why 
is she hanging? Like, I mean, yeah, none of that's established. No, none of the relationships are really established outside of, hey, you've seen other movies, you know why kids are friends in those. Just assume those are the reasons why they know each other in this one. You know, they're not set up as the group of outcasts, which could very easily have been done to have them be. I mean, especially if they know stilts, right? They're, they're total societal pariah. Yeah, still definitely makes the case for them to having been excluded from the rest of the the culture. And you know, they like it's fairly obvious that these these relationships have persisted for well before this turning point in our protagonist's life where her mother died and her whole world was shattered. So have they been treating her this unsympathetically a the whole time <laughs> leading up to this point? And then for the full year afterwards? Jesus Christ. These are horrible people. And Yeah, yeah. And and then that raises the other question I have is how did they manage to remain friends all of that time up to the turning point? Because I can understand afterwards the blow to one's self-confidence and self-esteem that would allow one to be repeatedly abused by everyone around them after that point. But how did the relationships persist long enough to get to, to still like, to be available to be that support network prior to her world being shattered? Did she just never have self-esteem? I mean, that... that... That has to be the reason. I just... Oh. It, uh, David S. Goyer's a better writer now. You'd have to be. Um, who directed this? Who's responsible for that? Albert Pion? Uh, oh, God damn it. No, I don't want an ad for Venom popping up over... It's, uh, uh, let's see. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, oh. God, it's not Steven Spielberg, is it? He directed the original Cyborg. Oh. With, uh, was Jack Palance in that one, or was just Jack Palance in the sequel? Oh, that was the Jean, it was Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mostly remember the, the VHS cover for Cyborg. Yeah, Albert Pion did a a bunch of Van Damme movies, it seems. Um, the previously mentioned Kickboxer, The Road Back, he also directed that. Oh, Brain Smasher, A Love Story, that classic uh, Andrew Dice Clay vehicle. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, he, uh, th- oh, he's credited on archive footage for Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater, that TV series that uh, just exclusively does terrible movies. This is just a whole line of crap that is very, very clearly. This is just his, his, his milieu, and 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 I guess people got tired of it because there's a pretty big gap. Uh, around 2010, he doesn't get to make a film for another three, another four years, and I guess he had something come out last year. But he's got, he's attached to four movies in production now. Jesus Christ. Oh, I just... Mm. Did he direct Cyborg 2 also? Because that's the one with Angelina Jolie, which is also terrible. But it's not, like, this terrible? Has Jack Palance in it? I don't want to think about any of this. <laughs> I am going to go... Uh, you know, yeah. I, you know what I'm going to do to clear my palate, to clean my palate? 
watch bikini time machine. That's it. That's it. But 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 before I do that, what are we going to do next time, Jim? Uh, we are going to do It Came from the Desert. Ooh. Ooh. That came out, what was it, last year? Yeah, I think that came out last year, according to what we, we uh, popped up there. Yeah. It came from the desert, an old PC game about giant ants that came from the desert. It's a, they decided to make a film of that. Well, it's it's a, a video game uh, that is it's based on you know in a lot of ways inspired by the science fiction movie from the 1950s, Them, which is yeah. uh, about a nuclear incident that results in giant ants attacking a a rural town. Um, so it's a movie based on a game based on a movie. Yeah. It's a film about giant ants. I mean, really. That's all I really need to know. Yeah, can you can you go wrong there? Yeah, so that's, hopefully, that will be cheesy and fun enough. And the trailer alone looks miles better. I don't even know how you make a trailer for a movie like Arcade. There is nothing exciting you can cut from it to put into a trailer. God, it's such an unexciting film. I hate it. Yeah. Anyway, we'll do It Came From The Desert next. Sorry. I'm sorry about this one. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry for anyone who had to watch. I it. I know there were people like who did to. watch it, you know, yeah. and and I, I feel bad that that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh god! And knowing it's full moon, I'm dreading researching further to see if there's like arcade two, three, four, or five. <laughs> I don't think I could ever do that. No. I think I would rather this. If we run out of material to where that's left. I would rather shut this whole yep, show yep. down. Yep, yep, that's that's the end of the line. <laughs> yeah. Once we're considering Arcade 2, <laughs> we're done. All right. Well, we'll see you next time for It Came From The Desert. Um, Conrad, you can follow Conrad on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Um, Conrad's also got podcast things. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently on the fifth season of Dice Funk, a fun little D&D podcast that uh, Jimquisition regular Larkate Dale also involved with that. It's a lot of fun, having a good time with that. And starting, uh, I guess it'll be out tomorrow by the time you hear this. It, it, it could even be out. Um, but this Thursday... Uh, of Horse, a BoJack Horseman fan cast officially starts. Uh, it's going to be an episode-by-episode examination of the series, talking about its themes, the characters. It, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some little games that we play. Um, I'm doing that with uh, Elodie Cunningham and Jake Spencer. It's going to be a, a heck of a good time, and we hope you'll uh, come check that out, too, if, if you're into, into this in-depth entertainment discussion stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot to chew on with the old boat. Oh, yeah, there. yeah. It's, it's, well, you know, and, and I'd love to get you to come and talk because there's a few episodes specifically that I think you'd have interesting things to say about. And so maybe we can talk oh, you into yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out. Comes out Thursday. Uh, you can uh, find it at ofhorsepodcast.com. Um, we have a preview episode that's out now, actually, if you want to go ahead and, and get started and, and meet the, the other hosts. Uh, it's it's going to be a good time, I think. And cool yeah. And I think that about does it. All right. Sorry again. Yep. Listeners. <laughs> we'll be back next time with a film about big ants. See you later. Bye. Bye. All right, all right, all right.